You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Boatwright, one of the pastors here at Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Uh, we have been wrapping up our series, Prayer Over Troubled Waters. So uh, if you haven't been here for that, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the teaching on that. But essentially, we have been going into the scriptures to find what does it mean for us to have prayer journey us through times of disorientation, times of loss, times of confusion, times of instability, Right. And so we've, we've, we've gone into the scriptures, but today we're actually going to go into our stories. And uh, why I think that's important is because you could be led to believe that all that the Lord has to say about how we should live in this life and how prayer journeys with us ends at the book of Revelation. Uh, but that's not the case. Actually, the, the, the revelation of the Lord, his movement in the world continues today in the lives of us. So as we talked about last week, the reasons that we have the scriptures is not that it's the container of all that God has to say, but it reveals the character of who God is. So as we journey 2,000 years removed, we can look back to a place that's reliable, the testimony and eyewitness accounts of those who were there with God himself, Jesus Christ, uh, and we can know the consistency of who he is. Amen? And so this is why we tell stories. Uh, I love the Irish uh, novelist and poet James Joyce. Uh, whoop, whoop, Ireland, Ireland, yeah, there we go. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, he is a Dubliner, and he wrote a lot about his, his hometown. And when asked why, James Joyce said, uh, I write about Dublin because if I can get to the heart of Dublin, I can get into the heart of all the cities of the world. Because in the particular is contained the universal. In the particular, is contained the universal. And so we tell stories because in our individual stories, we reflect the universal grandness of a God who is consistent and immutable, but also intimate. Psalm 22 uh, is beautiful. Uh, it's, it, it starts with the words of Jesus on the cross. Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in verse 3, uh, in this time of, 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 of chaos and consternation, verse 3 says, you inhabit the praises of your people. The Lord takes place and takes home in the way that we talk about him. And that's not just through songs, because at the end of that, verse 30, it says that the future generations will be told about God. And they will declare his righteousness to those yet unborn, saying he has done it. So this is why we tell stories here, and this is why we're going to spend our day telling some stories so that maybe we can get a better look uh, into what it looks like for God to journey us and meet us through prayer. Start us off, I actually have this story that, that came to me. It's one we tell kind of often when my family gets together. Uh, it happened about, uh, gosh, so long ago, probably 10 years ago. Uh, my, my dad, my mom, and a, and a family member, we were driving from New Orleans, Louisiana, back home to South Carolina. And uh, it's about, it was about 1, 2 in the afternoon, 
and we are driving through Hattiesburg, Mississippi, when all of a sudden, uh, our tire pops. Uh, my dad's favorite car is this, you know, the silver Volvo, and we were poor, um, so we were gifted this car, and so this was like a, a treasure uh, to us. And so um, we, we were driving on uh, what you may have heard is called Mayblows. Um, if you don't understand that, uh, where you come from, where I come from, and when you're poor, Mayblows means may blow at any time. Uh, <laughs> so we were on some tires that were Mayblows, and it did blow. So uh, we, we thankfully are on the interstate, but we had just switched drivers. And so uh, we were able to come to like a stop. We weren't traveling at too high a rate of speed. So, okay, we get out, and my dad goes to, like, get uh, the spare, which we have. Then he goes to get the, the tire iron to change the spare. And that he can't find. We don't have that in the trunk. And so we look all over. There's nothing. And we're like, oh, well, this is not good. Um, and so we're stuck here on the side of this road, Hattiebergs, Mississippi. And... Uh, we wait for a while. We try to figure out what to do. Um, we see, like, uh, back in those days, this was, like, before cell phone, you know, there would be a, a truck. There was a service truck that would literally just go up and down the interstate because if you were stranded, it's not like you could just hop on a phone and call for help. Uh, and so we saw, like, one of those trucks kind of pass by, and we're trying to wonder. We have no clue how far away the next station is or help is. And so my dad's sitting there, and he's praying that the Lord would send help. So uh, eventually, this, the, the service truck comes back by. And this time, the person pulls over, and it's this woman. She has this truck. And so my dad's like, oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for stopping. We lost our, our, our tire, but I just need to borrow a tire iron. To which this woman said, uh, well, that would be $70. Um, I'm not going to adjust for inflation, but it was a lot to us as poor people. Uh, we, didn't, like, we just had enough to get the gas back, and so we didn't have an extra $70. And so my dad's like, listen, I understand. I don't even need to, like, keep it if I could just borrow it uh, just to change my tire. And the woman says, no, you pay it or you get nothing. And, uh, and so my dad's like, I can't. I, ma'am, I just can't do it. And so this woman gets on the phone or on the radio and she radios into headquarters and she says, uh, hey, I'm here. Uh, I forget the interstate. It's probably was like 20 or, uh, and she says there are uh, four coloreds in a BMW uh, who are refusing help. Don't send anyone else. Uh, some of you just got introduced to institutional racism, uh, <laughs> which, welcome. Uh, with knowledge comes responsibility. We'll get into that later. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so she says what she says, and then she, like, gets in the car, and gets in the truck, and drives off, and leaves us there. So we are stuck, and we're upset. And then we're out there for probably about another 30 or 45 minutes when uh, a truck rides by, and the people that are in it just kind of whoop at us, like, whoo, like this kind of like scary kind of yell. And so, um, yeah, you can see it, it's starting to get serious here. And by this time, it's about like 4.30. 
uh, it's starting to get a little bit darker. Uh, some of you may not know, but there is a thing called like sundown towns, which means if you are black like I am, uh, you should not be in this place after sundown. Uh, there are a lot of those in Mississippi, unfortunately. And so at this point, um, my dad's anxiety really starts to build. Uh, as he tells this story, he says, well, I'm not really worried about the boys because, you know, they can figure it out. But my wife is sitting here on the side of the road, and he's got her here, and he's so concerned. He's like, maybe I should have just paid the money and figure it out. And so all we know to do, my dad calls us together, and he says, we just have to, we just got to pray. And so we prayed to the Lord uh, that you would just send help some way, somehow. And it's probably about 10 minutes after this prayer that a 18-wheeler comes barreling down and starts to park, come right beside us. And this huge 18-wheeler like pulls off onto the shoulder and we're just like, oh Lord, I don't know what's about to happen. And this, this little like, beady-eyed, excited, like, white dude jumps out, and he's like, hey, you guys need help? And uh, <laughs> we're like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of help you got? Uh, and we're just like, hey, you know, we got a flat tire. And he's like, okay. Well, 18-wheelers have different size tires than Volvos. Uh, so I don't really think you can help us. But this man is insistent, and he's like, hey, can I just look in your trunk? And my dad's like, no, there's nothing in our trunk. And this guy is so persistent. Can I please just let me look in your trunk? And my dad's like, dude, the, you, I've already looked. There's not a tire iron in there. And this guy just keeps going to my dad as he says it. He was like, I was, like, I was either going to have to let him in the trunk or hit him. Uh, and so I figured I'll just try that first. So I let him into the trunk. My dad pops the trunk for this man. And he reaches in and almost at the same time as reaching out. And he has... Not like most tire irons are kind of shaped like this four-pronged thing, but it's like this, this little cylinder and a stick, and he just pulls out this tire iron thing out of nowhere, just reaches into the trunk, pulls it out, gets down on his knees, changes our tire, puts on the spare, throws it in the back, and says, hey, uh, the next Walmart is like two, uh, two stops up. When I honk the horn, that's where you get off, and help will be right there off the end. And sure enough, we get behind him, he honks the horn, we get our tire, and we make it home. That's really the story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do a, a lot of meaning-making for you for these stories. Uh, So how, whatever parts of that hits you, I'll, I'll let that rest, and I'll just say for me, uh, it, was, it was a stark time where I saw prayer lead to the provision of God and the changing of circumstances. And, uh, yeah, and I think about that story often in times of trouble. But sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not the case. Like, sometimes circumstances don't change, right, in our prayer. And what does that look like? Um, so I'm actually going to bring my best friend, uh, Catherine Boatwright.
You careful. can't sue us. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at like a 12 from being with the kids, but. Yeah. Uh, so Catherine has a story about prayer uh, and being met in unchanging circumstances that I would love for her to share. Sure. So um, I've shared this in some bits, but um, my mom fought Alzheimer's for about 10 years, and she, you know, it it is progressive, and so you decline over time. And, you know, I think the prayers changed from healing to enduring at some point. And... Um, Towards the end of her life, you, we brought in hospice because she stopped eating. And it was a pretty clear indicator that she didn't have much time left. And so my family lives in Florida. I am here, obviously, which was an added complication. And um, there was a couple of times where I, like, jumped on a flight because we didn't know what was happening. And, you know, every time I got on that plane, I was just terrified as to what I was gonna see on the other side. And, you know, when you see something day by day, it's not as shocking as when you go a couple of months and then you see the decline. And every time I saw her, it was just like a sucker punch to the gut, you know? And um, so I just started praying for God to make me brave um, for the circumstances. And it was, you know, last weekend, and they said, you know, this is it. Um, you know, I would definitely come and say your goodbyes. And so I came, and everyone kind of braced me for what I was going to see. You know, they set up a hospital bed in the room, and she was on oxygen and all this stuff. And because she stopped eating, she was physically um, emaciated, yeah. And so it was a really hard thing to see. But, you know, I walked in there. And um, I was just like, okay, this is where we're at. And it wasn't that God suddenly healed her or changed the circumstances, but he gifted me with his presence to be able to endure what was before me and to sit in the pain and the loss. And last week when we were talking about praying through loss and all of that, I just kept thinking, I was just like, I, I think it was so much more about his presence within me and in the circumstances than it had anything to do with the actual loss itself. Um, and I didn't even know that there was God's provision in that moment, that his spirit was indwelling in me and in that space that I could sit and I could literally watch my mom, you know, breathe her last breaths there. And um, a lot of my family members couldn't do it, you know, which is fine, which is fine. But um, in that moment, God gave me a strength and a perseverance that I just frankly don't have. You know, like I'm not someone who can be in those places of pain very easily. I wash them away in my own life frequently. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it, I, I just saw him move through prayer because it was just a constant asking for me to be aware of his presence um, and to be able to see that moment through eyes of eternity because the earthly side of it was not going to change. You know, like he gave us on, we're on this earth, there are diseases and sometimes he changes those circumstances and sometimes he doesn't and he didn't. But 
I was able to have peace in those moments and to walk away knowing that God was in it, even though I would have chosen something very different for my mom. Thank you, my love. Mm -hmm. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can, it's fine. It's just good. It's good. Yeah. Sometimes the prayers just help us walk through the unavoidable. Uh, and I'll give a little testimony as someone who uh, has seen my wife through many circumstances. She is not one for like hard things. And it, I can testify that the strength exhibited through that time was um, just purely from the heart of the Lord and an answer to prayer. Uh, prayer guided her through. So, uh, yeah, we'll just let that rest there. Uh, in a second, I just want to preface this. We get, I've got one more like formal story for us, and then I'm going to open it up. Uh, so uh, you're going to be able to share your stories. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second, but just, you know, maybe start thinking now. Uh, so this last script, last story uh, that I had planned for this morning, uh, I didn't really have planned, actually. This was in some ways kind of the provision of the Lord as I was sitting in this, coming up to this week, and was like, Lord, what stories do you want us to share? And, uh, and they were slow to come. And then uh, last night, a dear friend of ours came over to hang with James while we uh, took some, some time to ourselves, and it was a great time. And, uh, but my friend, I knew, a little, I knew very intimately some of her story. And I felt the Spirit just kind of give, offer an invitation to her uh, to speak through how prayer has journeyed her through uh, what she's gone through. And, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be the time or the place, and it turned out it was. And so I'm really uh, thankful and excited for you all just to hear um, a story that's not going to be necessarily full of hope, but I think full of the presence of God. So I'm going to invite Kayla Kern up. Uh, Kayla, before you tell your story, would you just briefly just tell like who you are, how long you've been a part of, oh, just, just that little. Yeah. Yes. Um, my name is Kayla, and I've been a part of this church from the get-go. Before it was even TGC Williamsburg, I was over in Park Slope, and it has been a long season of watching this church change and grow, and I'm so happy to still be here today. It's... Uh, my 10 years in New York, so it's been a little while. Um, but for me, some of you do know a bit about my story, and I am in a season of redefining what prayer looks like in my life. And to give that a little bit of context, in 2019, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And for who I know God is to be, that is not a part of his plan. So that left me with a lot of questions. Where are you, God? Why did you allow this to happen? And I'm going to just read through what I have for in that story. So at that time, 
I shut down. I was angry. And no, I did not want to talk. In this time, while this community was praying for me for healing, I struggled. What would it look like if I were to be healed, to be with God? I wondered if this I wondered if being healed was to be relinquished of this body. And all I could muster up was WTF. <laughs> I cried, I yelled, but I knew he could hold my anger. So I let him have it. And oh boy, did I let him have it. Even in the pain, I knew he was with me. And as I am reestablishing my relationship I have with prayer, what had been a wound is now forming a scar. There is healing. Just as there are good friends where we have gone long periods of time without speaking, but when we do, nothing breaks the true friendship that we have ever had. I see that in my relationship with God. There are still a lot of days where I struggle. But I am learning again and again that God has a place in that and I can go to him. It's all a work in progress and I'm seeing that sometimes you have to deal with the ugly broken bits before getting to the beautiful parts. That is where I'm at in my prayer life, so thank you. Who's next? Yeah. They're about to be. Uh, thank you, Kayla. Uh, my favorite, the part that just touches me the most is when you talk about that picture of a friend. You may not have talked to in a while, and yet you come back and you can kind of, the relationship is still there. The roots are still there, and then you can get to talk again. And so thank you for sharing a story that's still unresolved in some ways, still being borne out. Because sometimes this isn't a linear journey, right? So to that end, uh, I'm going to open it up now. But before I do, I just want to give us a little framing for what that looks like. Uh, in a second, I'm going to put a microphone. I'm going to figure out how to do this. Maybe I'll put a microphone on that stand or we'll just pass them around. Um, and if you have a story about how prayer has met you through times of trouble, I'm going to invite you to share. But I'm going to give you two caveats. One is this. Uh, stories are powerful, as we talked about. But when we share our stories, we do want to make sure that we're sharing from scars and not wounds. Uh, and just what I mean by that is that uh, some things haven't been fully resolved yet. And so to... To kind of share them in a place like this would be akin to like bleeding out, you know? Uh, and so uh, we don't want that. I also would love to just help you walk through the healing of that story. So that's a whole other thing. But if you have a story that feels like a scar, even if it's an ugly scar, 
right? Um, that's okay. Ugly scars are welcomed here too. But, but I would just ask that it would just be a story that, that makes sense. I also just want to call us to awareness that this is a pot. This is also recorded and it goes out into the world. So uh, just to consider that what you share is also is among strangers and then also like strangers. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then also um, just for your safety and for the safety of everyone, I am going to just reserve the right that if this gets a little bit off the rails, I'm going to just pull the plug. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I reserve that right. Uh, <laughs> and then I would just ask you just, you know, um, yeah, tell your story. And, and as we talked about, um, there can be a, a, a need to meaning make for everyone. And and we don't want to do that today. Uh, I would just ask you could share your story, and maybe you can share uh, how it's hit you and discovered, you know, what you've discovered in it. But we don't have to, like, meaning make for us all. I think the Lord can do that through his spirit. Everybody understand? Everybody got that? Cool. Does that feel healthy and, and a safe place to share? Okay. So um, I'm going to hand off a microphone. Does anyone have a story they would like to share? Maybe just state, like, your name and how long you've been apart. Real quick. Cool. Thanks, Lauren. Hey, I'm Lauren. I've been for five, four years now um, in, like, a week uh, at TGC or at Oaks the whole time. I figured I was sitting in the front row for a reason today. Um, and as soon as you offered this opportunity, I was like, yeah, I want to share. Um, this baby is the crux of my prayer story, but um, I think it starts about five, six years ago. Um, I've just been in a really dark place um, over that course of that time and have been slowly coming out of it, but like was dealing with depression. Um, and my past birthday, I was praying, God, I just want to be out of the pit um, by my next birthday. And I think that I just turned 30 in February, and um, I felt like I was out of the pit. Um, and the, a major part of that was this baby. Um, so Lala is our baby. She was born in September. And um, Right before leading up to her birth, I had like this crazy anxiety. Like I'm not an anxious person at all. I don't get anxious, um, but I had so much anxiety leading up to her birth. I was like so afraid I was gonna die. She was gonna die. Um, I was doing a home birth, my second home birth, and I was like, why have I done this? Like why am I doing this again? Like anything could happen. Anyway, I finally. Um, I finally couldn't deal with the anxiety anymore. And it was like past my due date. I went to a cafe and I just sat down and started like writing out all my anxieties to the Lord, like very big, very small. I was like, I don't know who I want to be there. I don't know what kind of music I want to listen to. Who's going to write or who's going to light the candle? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, are we going to die? You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I like literally wrote down, I had like pages of big and small anxieties that I just wrote down and gave over. 
Um, and I just felt like this release. And then that night was Dwell, and I came to Dwell, and for the first time in like so many months, I felt like I redirected my gaze from myself and like what was going on on, on this plane, and like just looked at God and his majesty and like his power and like who is this God that I worship and that is taking care of me. And it was like a combination of like releasing the anxiety and then just like taking in the magnitude of who God is. Um, and then I left, I left dwell that night and um, went into labor two hours later. Um, and I just think it was like, you know, mind-body connection, spiritual connection is like all so intertwined, it was like just spiritually letting all of this go and letting God take over, um, got my body where it needed to be. And then Lala's labor was like an hour and a half long. And it was the most precious, beautiful experience of my entire life, like a mountaintop experience like that I needed. Um, It was the pinnacle of like God showing me like I'm here um, and I see you, and you are now, like, out of the pit. Um, anyway, she was born, like, the midwives hadn't even gotten there yet. Like, I caught her myself. Um, and, like, that this was... This is like the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was, like, that was the sweetest part for me is because, like, I didn't even know that that was the birth that I wanted. Like, I didn't write that down. That was, like, unprayed prayer in my heart, you know? Like, and it wasn't until it happened that I was like, wow, God, you know me so much that you answered the prayer that, the prayer that I didn't pray. Yeah. Um, and so after that experience, I just felt so loved, so taken care of, and, like, so blessed. And this baby's, like, the smiliest baby like, she just brings so much joy to my life. So she's, like, truly, I call her my angel baby, my gift. So. Got a story? No pressure. Full opportunity. Come on, Frederick. You don't have to stand up front. If some of you are like, I would tell it, but you're going to make me stand up front. You can just stand where you are, too. So, All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Frederick. Uh, I have a lot of stories that relate to prayers answered, but this is like a fun one I could think of. So way, way back before a lot of you were born <laughs> in what was it, 97, 96? Um, first time I came to, I was born and raised in Switzerland, and I came to America the first time in 96. I visited people in Nashville, became friends with a bunch of bands and people, and then uh, in 97, in the winter, uh, these guys called me up, and they're like, hey, we're going to come snowboarding in Zermatt in Switzerland. And I was like, great, yeah, let's hang out, let's go snowboarding, all that good stuff. Of course, them being uh, uh, famous irresponsible musicians failed to tell me where they want to go stay. And so by the time they come to Switzerland, I keep calling the house. Nobody answers in Nashville. So I call the management and they're like, who are you? Oh, we don't know you. I know we don't give out information. 
So I was like, great. So I got on a train. I went up to Zermatt with my snowboard and everything. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm here. I know these guys are here, but I have no idea. And I mean, Zermatt is not a big resort, but you know, it's big enough not to find anyone. However, the, one of the lead singers was a black guy and there's not a lot of black people on ski slopes in Switzerland. So I was like, okay, at Amen. least I can go ask around, have you seen the black guy with dreads, you know? And uh, that didn't work for the first day. So I went home, and I, I mean, home to uh, the place I was staying, and I was like, okay, God, I need to figure this out because I'm not going to be here for a week and not see these guys. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I went to sleep. And I know this is super bizarre, but I had this dream where this phone number kept popping up. Like, just I kept seeing this phone number, and I usually don't remember a lot about dreams. But the next morning, the only thing I could remember of this dream was this phone number. And I was like, okay, this is weird, whatever. So I was like, but you know, let's give it a try. So I dialed the phone number and it was like a real estate company from the local town. And I was like, okay, I asked them, do you have like anybody? He was like, no, we don't know. We don't give out information. All right, long story short, I walk around the town, I walk down the street, and because Zermatt is car-free, um, there's only these little golf carts that you can use to get around. And I walk down the street, and there's this golf cart with that phone number on the side of the golf cart. And I look up, and there's like a little, you know, uh, way up there. So I was like, what do I have to lose? So I walk up to the house, I knock on the door, and all the crazy guys are there. So, <laughs> so. Very bold. <laughs> I love it. Anybody else? The question, how has prayer met you in time of trouble or otherwise? Zinia. Hey guys, what's up? Oh, wow, that's loud. Um, yeah, I'm Zinia. Um, I am not new here, but I sort of am. I've been here about nine months. Um, and prayer is something, uh, I think since I was like five, since I was like young, young enough to understand what prayer was, has sort of been my light, right? And sometimes my only light. And I remember being young and, uh, I mean, if you guys get to know me, you'll understand my circumstances, but I didn't have the best life and I was, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And it's not because I wasn't unfriendly, I was just very particular. But, um, <laughs> uh, and, um, I do remember being young enough to ask God, to have conversations with God, be like, yo, dude, let's, um, you know, like, I'm praying for friends, I'm praying for a group, I'm praying for a body of people I can be a part of. Um, so I prayed that for years and years and years. And it's not that it didn't come, but I've found out that my relationship with God is... Um, showing itself every, every, every day. And it is through prayer. And one of the biggest prayers was around 10 years ago, I stopped going to church. 
Uh, just graduated high school, started college, and church just, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't want to spend time on Sundays being in church, but also presenting this like fake side of me. And um, my first time back at church was here at Oaks. And I've realized as I think about the corner full of people, right, the people in my corner, a lot of you guys here actually, that I know, that I love very much, that I've shared life with, Patrick, you too, in our talks. Um, I'm like, this is the prayer, y'all. This is the prayer answered. And I'm thankful for it every day. And I, I, I don't have a lot, but I can look into the eyes of my friends here and boy, am I thankful. You know, that's, to me, that's the bridge over troubled waters, you know? Amen. Thank you. I'm happy to end there, but if there's one more, you can have the last word. Speak now or forever hold your peace until the next time we do this. Cool. Uh, one last note before uh, we move towards the table and worship. Uh, the stories that we've heard today are gifts. Uh, each person has opened up a bit of their life and offered us something to us. Uh, and the thing about gifts, uh, especially like really good ones, they can sometimes make you elicit like these questions that are frankly just kind of inappropriate. Like, where'd you get this? How much did this cost? Like what, you know, um, but we don't want to do that. And so what I'm saying is uh, maybe there's something that's been resonant in some of the stories that you've heard, um, but how we honor these gifts is not coming to ask for more than what the people have offered. Uh, but to allow them to just uh, just receive what they've given us. And then if you have received a gift, if you've received that gift, uh, I think you're welcome to just express that, how you have received it and how that has impacted you. Uh, and maybe they'll give you a gift receipt and offer you more, but that's on their terms. Uh, uh, so I just want to make sure this is how we honor each other's stories, by listening, receiving what is shared, uh, and then we can respond back with a thank you or how it's been given to us. Got it? Cool. Great. Uh, well, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to uh, move ourselves to the table. Uh, speaking of gifts, it is uh, one of the simplest and most profound gifts. Because uh, on the night that Jesus died, he told his followers by taking the bread on the table and breaking it, he said, this is my body broken for you. What a gift. And then he took the cup, the wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. I'm changing the ways that you relate to God. And so whenever you do this, take the bread and drink of the wine, do this in remembrance of me, the one who gives the greatest gift. And so we come and we come to the table with glad and sincere hearts receiving these ordinary elements that are achieving extraordinary purposes. And so, if you will stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. Our communion servers are going to come forward. Uh, there's gluten-free over here on this side. Uh, 
And we're just going to come forward towards the table and the band is going to come and lead us uh, in a little bit of worship. And then uh, some of our staff and elders will be here on the sides just to receive you in prayer. Right. So maybe uh, maybe you didn't share because your your scar is coming, but it's still kind of a wound. And so if you would need someone to just help you carry that wound um, to apply a little balm to it, we'll be here to meet you in prayer uh, for that. So I invite you to come. So uh, for now, let me pray and then let us come as we will. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are an incredible gift giver. We thank you that you have told and are telling the best story that has ever been. We thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this meal that fills us way more than it should. So allow us now, Father, um, to move forward in the newness of life, receiving this bread and this wine with thanksgiving and glad hearts. In your name we pray, amen. So come, receive. We'll meet you in prayer. And then we'll lift up some more praise. <laughs>